Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The woman is attached to a black leather medical table by red nylon straps attached to every limb. She is blinded and muted with duct tape. On that floor with that metal bar that he used to strangle her with and that puddle of blood, it just looked like too much blood to come out of a tiny little eight-year-old lady. Being raped at gunpoint, like, uh, what, what else do you do? Like, you can't do anything. And it's two men against one woman. And I probably, you know, I weigh 98 pounds. So it's not like I can take them down myself, and I wasn't about to wrestle a gun out of their hand. I was just trying to Welcome to Human Monsters. Jane met a man who appeared to be a victim of emotional abuse and gave an Oscar-caliber performance in the role of supportive partner and expectant father. To her horror... Following the birth of her daughter, he became abusive. Abuse led to stalking and death threats. The effects on Jane, her family, and her health continue to impact her to this day. Great. So thank you very much for joining us here today, Jane. You've been through a lot. I read through some of the information you provided to me. Uh, You were in the relationship from hell. So what, what I'm interested in knowing just from the get-go is they often say, you know, criminals, you don't know they're criminals at first. Whether If they are abusers, they don't come across that way. Many of them are very charming and seem very normal at first. Uh, so I just wonder if you could tell me about the circumstances under which you met this person and tell me what your first impression of them was like. Sure. So I often compare him to the movie Catch Me If You Can. Uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, He was, like, charismatic. He left so many people believing that he was something different than he was. So when I met him, I was working. I was bartending for a time. And he came into my bar that night um, with friends, and he was, you know, having a good time, um, very sweet. Then I learned he lived in my neighborhood. Well, By learning that he lived in my neighborhood, you know, we hung out with a lot of neighbors at the time. And so it wasn't just me. It was like me and my neighbors as a a partnership invited him to hang out with us too. And um, he had like a sob story. He had the sob story of who he was and everything that he did in his past. And it made him seem uh, like somebody that you could really have a lot of compassion for. Um, he had other children, to my knowledge, he had two, um, whereas at this point, I believe he could have more. Um, he was living with his brother and what I knew to be at the time a friend who was a a girl. Um, now I'm learning it might've been a girlfriend. Um, but he just, like you said, was very charismatic, a lot of charm made you kind of feel overly bad for him. And, like, he was doing everything he could in his power to, like, be a good dad and be a good brother and be a good friend to all these people. Um, And so we started hanging out. Uh, A relationship developed. He was very nice. Had no clue about the kind of person that he really was. Um, We were 
we found out that I was pregnant with my with our daughter uh, about five months into our relationship, and um, he was very excited about it. He was very excited that we were having a baby. I was terrified. At that point, I was in my 30s. Um, I didn't have any kids, and I was terrified that I was having a baby with somebody that, like, I had feelings for, but I wasn't in love with, um, and he was super excited. So we went through the process of the pregnancy and our relationship and um, started moving forward with it. And he was great. He was fantastic. If anything, he was like an overly compassionate partner during a pregnancy. Um, he was very like giving. He was very um, accommodating. Everything I needed while we were pregnant. I had our daughter and within three weeks of her being born, he was just a completely different person. I uh, went back to work. Like I said, I was bartending part-time. I went back to work because um, we needed the income. And I said, are you okay if I, if I go to work tonight? It's Halloween. It's a big money-making night. And he was like, absolutely. So within two hours of my shift, I get a phone call from him. And all I can hear is my daughter screaming in the background. And uh, he said to me, he said, if you do not get home right now, I will bounce her off the floor like a basketball. And my heart sank. This was a person that I knew nothing but compassion. And that was the way he was talking towards our daughter. And uh, I was in the middle of shifts. I couldn't leave. There was nobody there but me. So I started just making phone calls. I was calling my friends. I was calling my family. And I was like, somebody needs to get to the house with my daughter before he hurt her. So my mom went over to the house. Um, and as soon as she got there, he left. He left. He left. My daughter was my mom at three weeks old. I sat there in an eight-hour shift, not knowing what was going on, trying to get my mom, him, somebody to come up on. Um, I did eventually get a hold of my mom. She told me she was there, that my daughter was safe, and that he was gone. And when I got home at 3 o'clock in the morning after my shift, um, it was it was horrible. It was hell. I didn't know how to react as a single mom at that point. I didn't know how to react as a new mom at that point. I didn't know how to react with my mom experiencing what I just experienced. It was devastating. It was my first time away from her, and that was what I was experiencing with a person that I, again, thought was a very compassionate, loving person. So um, after that, I didn't hear from him about a week. He just left me and his daughter, didn't hear from him for a week, and he called me, and he was very apologetic about what he said, what he'd done. Um, started explaining to me that he had some mental health issues, that he had bipolar disorder, and that he had post-traumatic stress disorder, and um, that he would never hurt me, and he would never hurt her. And I was like, okay, I get that. If these are things that you have, then, you know, we need to figure out how we can address them together so that we can take care of our daughter. Um, so he came back home. And we started working on it. And I um, started to learn that he was like, he wasn't in a drugs at all, but he was a big drinker. So every time he drank, he would get more like violently toned. He wasn't physical at that point, but he was more violently toned. So I had a conversation with him explaining, like, you, you can't drink. It doesn't tire of you when you drink, you can't do it. So he was oh, like, all right, I won't drink. Um, and I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, but so he would explain to me that, uh, you know, he had these issues. And I was like, all right, you can't drink. So he went, he started going to AA and started working on his drinking. And we were working things out. And then he would start disappearing again. He would get in these friends. He's like, I can't do this. And uh, so he started going to AA, started to work that out, disappear for a week or two at a time, come back, apologize every time. And it got to the point where it would start getting more, like, vocally violent, but it would also start getting more, like, physically violent. Like, it went to the point where um, we had friends over for Valentine's Day. 
we're all having a couple drinks, hanging out, and our daughter started crying. And he went to get her, and I said, I'll get her. He's been drinking. And he choked me to the point where I couldn't breathe. So in defense of myself, I started swinging, and I ended up punching him. Um, not out of something I wanted to do, but just out of trying to defend myself. And I um, knocked his two front teeth out and broke my hand. And he took my phone that night and ran. I don't know where he went. He just ran out the door with my phone so I couldn't call police. But we had friends there, so they called the police. Police came, took a report. A couple weeks later, again, called, apologetic. You're right, I can't be drinking. Goes to AA, starts doing all the right things. So I went to, like, this AA family meeting with him, and they're like, he's been here for weeks. He's doing really good, really proud of him. And I was like, okay, I'm proud of him, too. So bring him back to the house. And again, I'm explaining to him, this can't be the behavior of our child. This can be the behavior accepted in our lives. So he started getting mental health help. Well, he comes from a family that is um, full of drug addicts. So as soon as he got to the point in counseling where they wanted to suggest drugs, he wouldn't take them because he was scared to. So he stopped going to counseling and started drinking again. And again, I didn't care from him for a couple of weeks. Well, he came back to my house and I told him, I said, you can't keep doing this. At this point, our daughter was um, developing. She was starting to have a lot of reservations around men. She was starting to have a lot of issues of her own. And I said, you can't do it. You can't come in and out of her life. You know, you, you need to fix your problems or you got to go. And he said, I'll fix it. So we tried for about a week before he started drinking again and started disappearing again. And I told him, if you walk out the door this time, it's the last time I'm going to let you back in. And he said, fine. And he left the house, and I didn't hear from him. Well, a couple of weeks later, he called me on the phone and uh, started acting like I was a bad guy for making him leave and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I told you if you wanted to leave, that was your choice, but I wasn't going to let you back in because of the situation our daughter was going through. So... Uh, he showed up unannounced and was highly intoxicated. And uh, I told him, I said, I don't know how you got here, but I'm going to tell whoever brought you here that they need to bring you home because you're drunk. And at that point, he ripped my daughter out of my arms and started violently punching me in the face. Um, and the whole time, I just remember I was looking at him, and it, it didn't even look like a, a person. He just had this look in his eyes that was so demonic and so insensitive and so non-existent. And uh, I kept thinking, too, I can't defend myself because he's holding my daughter, and I cannot let him knock me out. Because if he knocks me out, I don't know where he's going to go with her. So I was trying everything to just stand there and take these punches in my parking lot and uh, it got to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't hold my feet anymore so I fell to the ground and he threw her on top of me at this point she was like a year old he threw her on top of me and he just went running and one of my neighbors was outside and saw the whole thing and started calling the police so he went running and uh I just remember grabbing my phone and I called a friend of mine and I was like, I need you to come get my daughter before the police get here because if the police come before you, they're going to take her because they're taking me to the hospital. I knew that something was wrong. I couldn't feel my face. I couldn't feel my legs. Um, I knew I couldn't take care of her at that point. I said, if the police get here before you get here, they're taking my daughter and I don't know where she's going, so please come get her. So my friend stood up and I just remember this blood curling scream of my daughter getting in her car and uh, she took her for the night and they put me in the back of the squad car they took me to the hospital and I had um, broken bones in my face I had permanent nerve damage in the left side of my face um, they kept me at the hospital overnight they let me out around 5 o'clock in the morning and I had to be at work at 7 and I called my boss and I said, hey, I need you to pick me up for work because I got in a car accident, which I lied, but I had to go to work. I was the only person taking care of my daughter at that point. So my boss came to get me straight out of the hospital. Uh, 
completely black and blue face, went to work. And I just remember people at, at my job were like making fun of the situation. Not that I got in a quote unquote car accident, but the fact that I had two black eyes, I had uh, broken bones in my face. They were making these like domestic violence just about, oh, well, he had to tell you twice. And I tried to laugh it off because they didn't know what had actually happened. But at that point, I didn't see my daughter for over 24 hours. Um, I had a friend go pick her up. She was a completely spoiled diaper, like complete a mess. I picked her up. I brought her home. And my phone rang, and it was him again. And he told me, if you think what happened to you tonight was bad, wait till I do, or wait till you see what I do next. And at that point, I just thought, like, what could be worse? My daughter is in tears. My daughter is terrified. My face is broken. Like, what could he possibly do to make this worse? And uh, he was right. Everything he did from that day forward was way worse than the physical abuse that I experienced that day. Um, He started calling my phone probably upwards to 200 times a day, texting it. Um, He would put these blockers on his phone that looked like the police department was calling me, like my parents were calling me, like my siblings were calling. Um, it always looked like it was somebody else. So every time I would answer, it'd be him, and he would just horrifically tell me how bad things were going to be. Um, I would catch him outside of my house in the middle of the night trying to break in. I would catch him inside of my house. I would wake up with him above my bed. Um he would tell me how he was going to kidnap my daughter. I would never see her again. He would tell me how he was going to kill me. He was going to kill her. Um, he had called my family and told my family how I was just going to be some dead whore in a park and nobody would know anything better. And uh, it got to the point that me and my entire family had to go get field carry permits. We had to get protection orders. Um Anything that we could think of to be safe. So I had made many, many police reports, and it felt like they just couldn't help. And I remember the night that he beat me up, this female police officer came to my house, and she said, uh, oh, I've been here before. And I said, I remember the last time you were here, and he had punched me in the eye, and he said, I just looked tired that night. I said, do I still look tired to you? And she looked so ashamed of her lack of compassion. Um, but it's very hard in that situation to get help from the police. So at that point, I got very lucky. I found a detective who was assigned to my case. And he was doing the best he could within his parameters. So um, he's calling me. He's threatening me. He's threatening my daughter. He's threatening my coworker. He's threatening my employer. He's threatening my family, my friends. And uh, one day I was at work and I just was done. He had called me that day and he was so serious. It wasn't like this hyperactive person that was mad at me anymore. He was just like completely in touch with his feelings. And he told me that uh, that was the day he was going to kill me. And he said he had to. He said, I, I'm going to kill you today, and this is why I have to do it, and this is how I'm going to do it. And he gave me a step-by-step narrative of how he was going to kill me and why he needed to do it. So I called the detective on my case, and he said, I'm trying everything I can, but what do you want me to do? And I said, I need you to help me. And he said, sorry. It's okay. Take your time. He said, okay, me and my partner are going to come and we're going to take a police report. So they came to my work and they put me in a conference room and they said, uh, I want to hear the messages. I want to hear the phone calls. What do you have for us? Can you play this? Now, meanwhile, I'm at my job. Like, my employer was so good to me. They, they made every accommodation. They were so good to me through all this, and uh, they were like, we'll give you the conference room, go do what you need to do. So the officers were like, let us hear the tapes, let us hear what you have, 
Well, very, very luckily for me, he called while I was with the police. And I answered the phone and I told the police to listen to him. And he told the police the exact same thing he told me. He said, today's the day I'm going to kill her. And this is why I have to do it. And this is how I'm going to do it. And he said, either she's going to have to defend herself and kill me, or you guys are going to have to do it. Because if not, I am killing her. And uh, he told them that he was going to fill every inch of my body with as much bullets as he could and tie my naked body to the bumper of my car and drag me around town until every inch of skin was off of my bones. So the police hung up the phone and they said to me, there were two police officers, and uh, he said to me, he said, I'm going to be honest, he said, this is the most deranged person I've ever talked to in my 22 years as a detective. And so he's like, we're going to find him. So as soon as the call ended, SWAT came. And SWAT filled my entire office. They filled my parking lot. And the SWAT officers were explaining to me exactly what was going to happen. They said, from this point on, we're going to walk you outside. If we tell you to get to the ground, we're going to take you to the ground. We're not going to hurt you, but we need to keep you safe. He could be out there. If he's not, we need you to get in your car. We need you to drive home. He said, SWAT officers are already inside of your house. They're already around your house. They have already made sure he's not there. SWAT officers are already at your daughter's daycare. And they said, either you pick somewhere you can go safely with your child, or we're going to pick it for you. So I thought of one place I knew I could go that was safe. And I came home, and they told me, you have 10 minutes to take your dogs out, pack your bags, and go. And I said, what happens to my dogs? They said, you need to find somebody to come get your dogs and take them somewhere. So I took my dogs for a walk with SWAT. I packed my bags and my daughter's bags in 10 minutes, and we were gone. And we went to a friend's house that he wasn't aware of. Um, and we stayed there for two weeks. And during this two weeks, we were still getting the phone calls. I was getting... Um, notifications on my phone that it was being located, that somebody was accessing my location. So I had to turn off all access to my phone. I had to change my work schedule. I had to change my daughter's daycare. I had to sell my car and get a new car. And in those two weeks, I went to get my emergency concealed carry. And while I was sitting there with the notary signed my concealed carry permit, the SWAT officers called me and they said, we got him. And I just felt so good. I was like, oh, thank you. They got him. And so I'm just like crying and I was so excited. And I was like, you can go home. Well, they arrested him that night. And the next morning we had to go to court. And while they were reading our story in front of the judge, he was just staring me down the entire time. And the judge told him, he said, you can't stare at her. You need to look at me. So they uh, gave him a bond of a million dollars. He had a million dollar bond for everything that he put through. And he looked at me and he said, that's only $100,000. I'll see you tomorrow. So they put him in cuffs. They arrested him. They gave me my daughter's protection order. And we went back to our friends and stayed there until we knew he was in custody. Well, at that point, it was only considered a misdemeanor because it was stalking and harassment, and they hadn't presented to the court that I had broken bones in my face. The broken bones is what brought it to a felony. Um, so at that point, it was a misdemeanor. And when they got him to felony court, uh, his bond was dropped, I believe, to $200,000, from a million dollars to $200,000. So they only needed $20,000 to have so, at that point, they locked him up. Um, he started fishing for bail. And I immediately started finding somewhere else for me and my daughter. Um, we had to go to court. We had to face him. I had to read a victim impact statement, which I didn't have to. I had an advocate who would have done it for me. But I felt like I needed to do that to him. Um, I needed to tell him how I felt about the situation being... 
the parent of his child, what he put his child through, what he put me through. Um, so I did. I read it, and he did get sentenced to six years in prison. The day that they sentenced him and arrested him, I sold my house. I moved. I bought a new house. Um, my daughter and I both went into counseling. Now, at the time, she was only a year and a half year old, and they diagnosed her with PTSD. Um, she couldn't be around men without having problems. She couldn't be around elevated voices without having problems. Um, I couldn't hear any sounds that sounded like my gate. I couldn't hear any sounds that sounded like, you know, loud vocal elevation. Um, we both had a lot of problems from it, left us counseling. Um, but the day that he got sentenced, we moved way so that he wouldn't know where we were. We went into an address confidentiality program so that they would protect our identities, protect our address, protect our phone numbers. Um, it's help. The thing that people don't realize, so when we were in misdemeanor court, it's hard to get help because stalking isn't taken that seriously. But nobody really realizes the burden that it puts on you and your family and your friends, and it's, it's horrible. It's horrible to have to watch your back every day. And still to this day, he's been in prison for two years. Still to this day, I cannot be in my house alone and keep the blinds open. Um, I feel like everything has to be closed. I don't want anybody to be in. Um, to this day, I monitor a case probably once a month to see where he's at and what's going on. Um, I have since gotten married, um, and my husband's amazing, but I have told him when it comes close to the end of the sentence, we have to move. Like, I don't feel like this time he will bother me. I feel like next time he will kill me. He is mad and he's vengeful, and I, I think the next time he's going to kill me. Um, has he made any attempts to try to contact you from prison? Um, he made many attempts from jail, and I actually knew that he still had people watching me because he wouldn't just call. He called with minutes already on his phone, so it went straight through to me. He called and would tell me things that were going on in my, fam my family's life. Like, he still had people watching, and to this day, he still sends these subtle messages to people that he know will get back to me. He hasn't given up, and I don't think he ever will. Who are who are these people? Are they friends or relatives or? Um, no, they're they're not friends or relatives of him. But he's met people in the prison system, um, which he met people before he even went to prison that he had no idea knew me. And then when he found out they did, like, there's zero reasons he should have a prying conversation with a stranger that leads back to them knowing me. But he continues to do that until he finds out if these people do because he just wants these subtle messages getting back to me. And they're messages of, like, the fact that he's not giving up. So, yeah, I mean, they record those phone calls, but I guess, so, we, so what is he, does he speak in a way that's cryptic and has a lot of code and symbolism in it so that the jail wouldn't know what he's talking about, but people that he's spoken with before, they understand it? No, he hasn't done anything in code to my knowledge, but like I had talked to my detective after he was in jail and tried to pursue a um, another charge against our protection order, but protection orders for victims are so loose-ended. So he had called me while he was in jail, and the first time I answered and I figured out it was him, I said, don't call me anymore. Well, the second time I had answered and didn't know it was him, he started with a statement about my family. And he's like, what's going on with, you know, your, let's say it's my mom. What's going on with your mom? And at that point, I was so upset that he knew something was wrong and so upset about the actual situation that I didn't say, don't call me again. I just started yelling and defending and pissed. So when I called my detective and was like, hey, he called me, he knows this is going on, and I want to uh, 
pursue charges against my protection order, they told me there was nothing they could do because I embraced the conversation. Oh, that's a strange way to look at it. Um, yeah. That they said the first time you answered was great. You told them they'll call you. The second time you embraced the conversation, so it's a little too loose to do anything. And did they ever inform you not to do that? Did they warn you about it? They they didn't they did not tell me how to handle that situation at all. Um, in the beginning, they didn't tell me how to handle it at all. Now at this point, I do know, but they didn't then. And I, you know, sometimes you just play on your own emotions. Um, when somebody is finding out this stuff about your family and your friends, and they've already had such a like powerful impact in your life, it's hard to just go, "I'm not talking to you." It's hard to not feed on your emotions and get picked. Um, but I didn't know that wouldn't protect me anymore. And um, so the case, did it go to trial? Uh, no, we didn't go to trial. Um, we were one week ahead of trial when he agreed to plead guilty to his charges. And during the uh, proceedings... I was wondering if anything about his background came up. Did he have a history of violent crime or a history of violent behavior in general? He does. So he had children before me, um, two children with two different women. And like I said, he was the Leonardo DiCaprio of Catch Me If You Can. He made me feel so bad about his situation with them. And he told me all these stories about why he wasn't with them and all these things he was doing to be with them. Well, I found out through all of this and after all of this that he had very similar cases against um, their moms. And I have talked to one of their moms since then, and she actually told me that he met her uh, one month before our court hearing and signed over all rights of his daughter to her because he knew he was going to prison. He knew he was going to prison. He didn't want it. Um, back child support, so he signed over all rights of his kid to her just so he could be done with it. Wow. Um, and, you know, it sounds like, as far as his mental health goes, this goes way beyond bipolar disorder. It, you know, he really is deranged. It sounds like there's psychosis at work. Yeah. So I had actually um, got him into mental health treatment, and the diagnosis that I heard, which was, I guess, through his mouth, because they wouldn't let me in there without his permission, was that he was diagnosed with um, bipolar and possibly uh, paranoid schizophrenia and post-traumatic stress disorder. And this story that he gave you when you met him about his exes, did he portray himself as, he said he portrayed himself as a victim. So what, what did he tell you about what they did? Uh, so he told me that his, um, one ex of his oldest child had um, taken his kid from him, that uh, she was cheating on him, took his kid from him. Well, I heard from her afterwards that uh, he was abusive and that while she was in the hospital giving birth, another woman had called her um, saying that him and her had a home and they were making a nursery for the baby and that he had told this other woman that she was taking the baby from him and they were going to get custody. Um, it's all very similar. He has a history of not only the violence, but um, these like very outlandish stories, a lot of infidelity. It, it's just, uh, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like I said, he just had this very like charismatic personality that made you believe that stuff. And he was just manipulating people. Do you know what he's been telling other people about you? Yeah, I do, unfortunately. Um, he has, like I said, met people that I know in situations he shouldn't know that I know them, but he keeps crying about me. Um, and he's telling them that, you know, I'm a whore and I cheated on him and, um, there's a lot of situations with money that I don't even know why money is relevant, but, you know, I took all of his money and uh, he doesn't even know who the kid belongs to. I mean, he, 
he always portrays us women as we're cheers, we're whores, uh, we're manipulators, we're narcissists. That that's basically what he's told everyone about me as well. Has he been violent in prison? Have you heard anything like that? I don't know if he's been violent in prison. I don't assume yeah. so because the typical victim is women. Yeah. Did he stalk the other women like he did with you? He did. And actually, his he had, to my knowledge, two children before me. And the second child, he would semi-stalk her when we were together. And he didn't make it seem like stalking, but he made it seem like, I'm just trying to find my son. She took my son. She disappeared with my son. I'm just trying to find my son. But he somehow always knew what she was doing. And you mentioned that your daughter was uh, affected um, at a very young age and that she had PTSD. So mm -hmm. how did that manifest? What kind of symptoms? You said she, she was very uncomfortable around men. Uh, so what other uh, symptoms were there? So she was fine until um, she witnessed the physical assault. Um, she had a babysitter who was a woman and the babysitter's husband. And not long after the assault, the husband came to pick her up and she would just scream bloody murder. She didn't want to be around him. Um, she had zero embrace towards men. Um, if you were around her and you even elevated your voice, she would completely shut down. She would shake. She would have um, violent, violent crying fits. It was very hard. Uh, she couldn't sleep alone for the longest time. And part of that was my fault. Um, I always kept her in my room because I was scared her dad would come for her. He, he would always tell me that he was going to take her and I would never find her. So I would keep her in my room at night. Um, but she, just, she couldn't be alone for a very long time. She couldn't sleep alone. Um, to this day, I mean, she's gotten a lot better. A lot better. And I give a lot of that credit to my husband. Um, he's a very patient man. He's a very good man. But to this day, she still doesn't act like a normal thriving five-year-old. She's very reserved. She's very emotional. Does she remember that incident that uh, led to all that? I like to think not in detail, but she has told me more than once that she remembers him, and she remembers that he hurt me, and she remembers the police took him, and that she doesn't like him. But if we don't, because I don't talk about him to her. I will not do it, um, because there is a very real opportunity that one day he could get out of prison and try to visit his daughter, and that's out of my control. As much as I want to fight for it, it, it won't be in my control, and I never want my daughter to be scared of anyone. But she tells me that she remembers he hurt me and she doesn't like him. Uh, do you know if he ever actually did strike her at all? No. Uh, to my knowledge, he never did. He threatened a lot to hurt her. He threatened a lot to kill her. He threatened a lot to take her. Um, he would often tell me that she'd be better in the state custody than mine. Um, he had a lot of threats, but I don't think he ever hurt her. Physically. I don't think he physically ever And how about the uh, long-term consequences to you? You mentioned um, physically you've got nerve damage and uh, other injuries. Um, so has that, has that created a disability for you at all? Uh, I don't think in my everyday life, no. Um, but I do know, like, I have conversations with my family a lot about the person I was. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because I felt like, like right now in my life, I feel like I'm tougher than I've ever been, but I know I'm not. I know. I know that it changed me. And like, I could take a million things with a grain of salt before, and now, like, I can't. I just, I have less tolerance. Uh, I have less patience. I have more defense. Not that you wouldn't ever be defensive for your child, you always will, but like, I just am. Like coddling her, I have I have more than one child now. I have another child, but I always feel like I have to be so defensive of her and so protective of myself. 
even when nobody's like trying to hurt me, I feel like I have to stand up for us. So you're hyper vigilant, would you say? Yeah, a hundred percent hyper vigilant. Yeah. And on top of that, my day to day life is different. Like I'm so cautious about things. That, like I said, I can't I can't sit in my house with blinds open because I'm scared somebody's watching me. I've had to get a new house. I've had to get a new car. I've had to get a new job. I've had to change my schedule. Like I just am so overly cautious. I'm watching like every person around me. I'm watching social media. I'm blocking people. I'm hiding things. Like I just, I don't know. I feel kind of recluse and I feel like my guard is always up. And as much as I have wrote that chapter off and I feel like I'm better, I just know from my daily life I'm not. I'm still like, overly cautious and hyper vigilant and overprotective and scared and i for no reason scared before all that happened were you generally a carefree person 100 percent carefree my my older brother he him and i are very close in age and we've been best friends our whole life and he will tell people like this is not her anymore oh my god he just knows them so different. Like, he wrote a letter to the court on my behalf about, like, how many women have to go through this or how many women have to die before it's taken seriously. He is a very tough person, a very hard-shelled person. And he, my ex made him so scared that he got a concealed security. He put security around his house. And he felt like he had to protect his children. And he's the person that was watching my daughter through all this and, like, watched her through it. He he feels like it really, really messed with our lives. Has it affected uh, the rest of your family in the same way? Um, yeah. So I have two brothers, and uh, my younger brother got his concealed carry. He got a protection order against my NXPS security, and he's moved. Uh, my older brother got his concealed carry, has a security system and he's moved. Uh, both of my parents have moved. Uh, just nobody's life is safe. My dad is so devastated. He feels like he let me go through this, but he's so devastated. Uh, have you heard anything about how um, your ex-husband's family feels about this? Do they do they acknowledge that he's at fault, or are they affected no. by parental bias, or? So I feel like uh, I, I don't know how they feel. I don't talk to them. He has one brother that I don't talk to, but I am okay with. Um, and and that guy hates his own brother. He hates his own brother. He feels like his brother is a monster. Um, but the rest of his family, they just kind of accept him for who he is, and they don't care. They don't care what he does to anyone. They just are okay with it. None of them have any communication or desire for communication with my daughter. Uh, they've never tried to be a part of her life. But he does have one brother who at least stays, like, on top of what she's doing and how she's doing and, like, wants to make sure we're okay. And did he ever give you any insights into what it may have caused his brother's behavior? Was he abused or was it a, was it a, a family situation where abuse was tolerated? Do you know anything like that? He hasn't given me any insight into it, but like looking at the family dynamic, um, four of the five siblings are drug addicts. Um, they're all from broken homes. They all have addiction issues and... I don't know. It could be a, a it could be a plethora of things. I don't know. I don't know. But they never have real stability, so I don't know that they understand what that is. How many of them did you get to meet? Um, I got to meet all of them. Yeah. I got to meet all of them. His mom, his dad, all of his siblings. Um, but you know, there's. Like I said, four out of the five have drug addictions. One of them overdosed and passed away. Um, the other ones have alcohol problems. They've all been in and out of jail. Um, they all have various levels of broken homes and kids and family problems. 
Yeah, well, there must be some a source for all that, you know, probably a bit use or something. Uh, sure. Man. That's a, sh a shame that all that happened. Um, so how else are you doing? Uh, you, so you have PTSD. So is it a thing where now if you saw a man on the street who looked like your ex, that that would trigger your PTSD? Oh, sure. I'm sure it would. Um, I've seen one person in the last couple of years that resembled him, and it does trigger my PTSD. But I, when I bought my house and I moved, the first time my air conditioner turned on, it sounded like my gate opening at my old house, and I lost my mind. The first time I heard police sirens in my new house, I lost my mind. Like, there's a lot of things that are very, very scary to me, and um, I try to be strong about it, but it's hard. I mean, the longer it goes on, the better it gets. The longer he's in prison and I'm away from him and you know, I'm, I'm with my husband and my friends and my family, it gets better. But, uh, I don't, I don't know when it will go away. I don't know if it will go away. I just, I don't know. And there tends to be a lack of stability and consistency in the life of someone like that. Uh, was, did he ever, did he hold a job for very long? Was that an issue with him at all? No, he never did. Um, to be honest, I started a company for us so that he could have a job. But every time he got a paycheck, he'd disappear with a paycheck. And he never felt like he had to take care of his family. Is he irresponsible in other ways? Uh, he was irresponsible in every way. For an adult male, he was irresponsible in every single way. How old was he at the time that uh, he was finally charged? Um, uh, 30. He was 30 years old when he was charged. Wow, but rather immature from what I can tell. Yeah. Yep. So what did the uh, attorney ever get to a point where they tried to defend him, or was it just he just made the plea deal, and that was it? So he made a plea deal, but his de his attorney tried to defend him. Um, they almost did a little bit of victim shaming when we were in court. I read my uh, statement, and his attorney's defense for him was, he thought I was cheating on him. Yeah, he felt very strongly that I was cheating on him. And did did he did he did he cheat on you? Do you know? Or? Oh yeah, he did. I have. Uh, yeah, there were many women. Actually, and it sounds like you cheated on all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But but then you had the double standard that. So I guess was he so jealous like you couldn't talk to any man? Was that a problem too? Yeah, he had a lot of jealousy issues. He just had issues with everything. Uh, but yeah, there was definitely a double standard. He was actually cheating. And as I mentioned in the beginning of my story, this roommate of his um, was apparently an on-again, off-again girlfriend. And I have said my own conspiracy theory of the whole thing. Um, she can't have children. And they've been together off and on since high school. And since then, he's had three kids that I know of. And she has fought in his corner every time. And I feel like she kind of lets him go out there and meet these women and have kids because they together feel like they're going to have these kids together. Like, she is the only person out of the two of them that has ever done anything for my daughter. She brought my daughter diapers one time. And I feel like they fight together because they believe in their heart that they are going to get custody of these kids one day and finally have a kid together. Do you think that he actually loved his daughter, your daughter? No, no I don't. Um, he put on this whole, like, front that it was all about my daughter, but it was never about my daughter. The whole reason all of this ever happened was after our arguments, me telling him he needed to not come back. If he was going to leave again, he couldn't come back because it was affecting my daughter. He was pissed because he thought I was keeping her from him. And I told him, I said, you have threatened to kidnap her. You have threatened to hurt her. You have threatened to kill her. If you want to see our daughter, you're going to have to file for visitation. And he said, no, you just need to give her to me. I said, I don't even know where you're living. And he told me, well, I can't tell you where I'm living because I have a warrant for my arrest and you will tell the police. 
And I thought, I cannot send my daughter somewhere that I don't know where she is with you who has threatened to kidnap her, kill her, and hurt her. If you want to see her, you have to file a visitation. And then it became, I'm keeping her from him. He's going to kill me. Wow. What, what do you think it's all about for him to keep getting involved with these women and having babies? Like, do you have any idea what this, what this has done to validate for him? I don't know that it's actually validating anything for him. But like I said, I feel like him and this woman who has been there the whole time, she got a loan to bail him out of jail during our case. I feel like they are trying to have a child that they cannot have together with them. I feel like this is their whole intention. I, I think it's a manipulative game. I think it's very sick, but I think that is the overall goal because they can't have a child together. I think they are reeling people in and doing what they need to do to actually get a child in their custody, which will never happen, but I think that's what they're trying to do. Well, as soon as you told me that three weeks after your daughter was born, you became really abusive, it occurred to me that having the child, that whole scenario was, that was like entrapment. That maybe that was part of his intention too, like... A hundred percent. Yep. He was never like that until she was born, and then a flip, or a switch flipped. So, yeah, he must assume, like, you were dependent on him for something. Right. But he, but he, but you weren't at all. I mean, you were the mostly the breadwinner, so you didn't need him yeah. as much as he needed you. Right. So throughout, when you were still with him, did he use the child to kind of control you in some way? All the time. He would tell me he barely watched her, um, and I hate to say watched her because it was her dad, but he barely watched her. Um, if I had to go to work, he would maybe get an hour into me at work before I had to have somebody come pick her up or take her because he wouldn't do it. He would rather sit in the bar drinking all night while I bartended and make somebody else babysit our daughter because he had to have that control. Um, do you think he was involved with any other kind of crime besides violent crime? Um... To be honest, no, I don't. I don't think he. No, I don't. And uh, what? So you mentioned like when you met him, you found him to be like charismatic and, um, I guess uh, maybe very charming. Uh, what do you? Yeah. What did? It, what is it about his charm that that it, what appeals to women that seems to be able to draw them in so effectively? He had a story. Like he had a very compelling and compassionate story about his children and at, like maybe teenagers or 20s that wouldn't appeal to you but we were in our 30s I was 31 he was 30 um when you hear that like family dynamic and like how much he cared about his kids and how heartbroken he was about his kids and um how hard he was working it like really drew you in like this is a person that I have a lot of compassion for and I respect what he's doing but then you learn that's not what he's doing um I think he really played the story to fit like where we were in our lives and on top of that like he was helpful I mean I had a house he didn't and he was like helping me work on my house and he was helping me work on my cars and he was just like this person that was like made you feel like you needed them even though you knew you didn't like I can everything for you and I'm wondering um, if, he, if he may have given that story that same story to other women and if so if you're aware of it at all uh, is it well rehearsed do you think it was it was a it was a spiel so to speak uh, I absolutely do he had like uh, like start to finish story of what has happened in his life and none of it was true so like, if you fly by the seat of your pants, it's not that well rehearsed. And to talk to at least one of his other kids' moms, her story and mine are so um, parallel. It's definitely well rehearsed. It's definitely, he had definite ill intentions. Hmm. 
And uh, that other woman you spoke to, how, is she also struggling like you are in, ter in terms of the after effects of it all? She was. So when her and I first started communicating, I had talked to her about the fact that, like, we have daughters from the same person. And it doesn't mean that, like, they have to have a relationship. But I was like, they should at least have a knowledge of each other. And she basically told me, good luck, and I don't want any part of that chapter in my life rehashed. So I had to respect that. Like, my daughter and I have spoken. She knows she has other siblings. And her daughter probably does as well. Um, her daughter has since been adopted by her husband. And her daughter is happy and doing great. But she didn't even want to talk to me in the sense that she was like, my husband wants this chapter out of my life. I want this chapter out of my life. And my daughter wants this chapter out of her life. And I hope the best for you. But I, I won't do it. And I was like, at the time, kind of hurt. But now I understand. Like, now I understand because I want that too. Anybody that I know has any kind of relationship with her dad or her dad's family. I just want them out of our lives. I want that chapter gone. Um, you mentioned, so he got a six-year sentence, was it? Yes. And do you know if he's eligible for parole earlier than that? So he's been in there for two years, and it, in the beginning they said it was a mandatory sentence. He's been appealing, and I, matter of fact, we got a letter in the mail just last week that he's appealed again. Um, he is trying to file for a judicial release. I don't know if he'll get it. Um, the court is saying he's eligible for it, but I don't think they'll give it to him. They keep shooting down his appeals. I do not know that he'll need a full six years. Hmm. Uh, did they give reasons, specific reasons, why he didn't deserve an appeal? Yeah, he is saying that his sentence was unlawful, um, and they are saying it was a clerical error. So they didn't, his six-year sentence was not mandatory. Um, that was a clerical error. They put mandatory. He is now fighting that it was unlawful and he was not given due process of law because they said he had a mandatory sentence. So they changed it to say it wasn't mandatory and that it wasn't unlawful, but he's still fighting that it was. And uh, you're certainly not to blame for how this has affected everyone else you know, your family. Um, but at the same time, I'm wondering if it kind of brings you a lot of stress just thinking about how how it has, how their lives have been impacted so much that, and, you know, is, is that is that something that disturbs you about the whole situation as well? Uh, I'll tell you, I, in the beginning, I was very conservative about it. Um, I didn't tell a lot of my family what was going on, and I didn't bring them into it, but he did. He started reaching out to them and talking to them about, like, my daughter and me and the things he was going to do. And I really didn't understand the impact it had on them until we went to court. And like I said, I got to make a victim impact statement and read it. But my brother had wrote one too. And um, I couldn't read it. I had to give it to my advocate and she read it to the court. And at that time, I had no idea how bad my family was impacted. And I think now they feel better Um about that situation, but they don't feel better about me and mine and my daughter's situation. I think they're still very upset about the way that she was and um, are very glad she's like getting past it because she's so young. But I know like just recently up till like last week, I had a conversation with my older brother. He's still very upset about how it's impacted me and how I've turned out. So I, I honestly didn't know how much it affected them. Um, and I hate that. I hate it. I didn't do it to them intentionally and I would have never wanted that for them as much as I wouldn't have wanted it for myself and my child. Um, but I, I hate that the choices I made and the person I was with impacted their life so much in the way that they feel towards my life. Like I hate that they're so scared for me. Did you and your daughter end up going to counseling? Yes. We went to counseling starting when she was three. Um, she was she was impacted before then. 
but she was very nonverbal up until three. She didn't talk. Um, she had a lot of like outlashes and a lot of fits that I just couldn't understand. So I brought her to a counselor and it was very hard to find somebody that would counsel a three-year-old. And I wasn't trying to find counseling. I was trying to find someone for her. And in finding someone for her, I found out that I needed it too. And I, I didn't just need it to like figure out how to deal with her. I needed it how to, to figure out how to deal with myself and how I was feeling in order to deal with her. Um, we found a great counselor. She did um, play therapy with her. She did vocal therapy with me. She was amazing. And I feel like it helped my daughter so much and in turn helped me. So, yeah, how much uh, improvement have you made since you started counseling? Um, are you at a better place now? Or do you feel stronger about the situation? Do you feel less anxiety at all? I do. So I feel like it's come leaps and bounds. Like my daughter, like I said, was nonverbal. Um, she had a lot of anxiety towards men, a lot of anxiety towards like heavily vocalized situations. Um, but this counselor helped her to find a middle ground through playing and helped me to figure out how I have to deal with her. So even though like we had to go through it, um, I do feel like we have a lot less anxiety now. I feel like my daughter is still very sensitive for her age. Like a lot of things bother her that probably shouldn't. And she's a little overly sensitive about them. But she's at least able to communicate now. Um, I spent, she's five, so I spent three years of her life kind of coddling her through that in the last two years, breaking us of those habits. And since then, like, she sleeps in her own room. She likes to be alone at night. She likes the lights off now. That was never a thing. She has stuffed animals she loves. She has friends she loves. She loves... The biggest influences in her life right now are men. Um, you know, she is the one that asked me if she could call my husband dad. Um, she just loves her uncle. I mean, she's just considerably different than she was when we started all of this. Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah. that, that therapist, uh, after describing the personality of your ex to them, what was their verdict on his personality? What, what, how, how did they piece him together? What kind of diagnosis did they come up with? So when he went to counseling, he's the one that told me his counselor said he had PTSD and was bipolar. My counselor told me that she believes he was bipolar. She doesn't know about the PTSD. She didn't hear his side of the story. But she's the one that told me she thinks he's a paranoid schizophrenic based on his personality traits and the things that we went through. Oh, okay. So your husband, he's completely different from your ex. That goes without saying. Uh, did it take you a while to feel safe in a new intimate relationship? Um, to be honest, it wasn't like uh, somebody I met and we developed a relationship. I've actually known him for a very long time. We met in middle school. So I've known him 25 years. And he's been my friend... And that was awesome. Um, the thing that changed our relationship to from friendship to intimate was his compassion for my child. He has children in a previous relationship. Um, and when we first started hanging out in our adult life, he was like, can I, you know, bring your daughter candy? Can I? He just did everything that makes her feel comfortable. Because he knew a little bit about the situation um and his first priority beyond our relationship was like making her feel comfortable and for me that was a game changer because with her dad it was never about her it was always about him and it wasn't even about me it was about him with my husband it was i want to make your daughter feel comfortable i want to make you feel comfortable and then we'll go from there and uh, while you know, I'm sure you trust him, do you have a hard time trusting outsiders? Is that, is that an issue at all? I do have a hard time trusting outsiders. And sometimes, to my fault, like, I bring problems from that emotional relationship into mine. 
I'm very lucky that he's patient. I'm very lucky that he's understanding. And I'm actually very lucky that I met him in middle school because he also has a relationship with my, my family. And my family tells them, like, this is not the same person she was before this. And he does call out to my brothers, and he talks to them. And I'm grateful he does that because they're able, they're able to tell him, like, although this would look like a very dramatic person, this isn't the person she was five years ago. This isn't the person she was four years ago. Um, they are grateful. They feel like I'm very safe with him. Um, and I am too. But I'm glad that he leans on them when he feels that bit of defeat to kind of help him through it as well. And how optimistic are you in believing that eventually you'll revert back to your 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 old self, your real self? I don't know. That's the trouble I face every day. I I feel leaps and bounds today than I was four or five years ago, but I don't know that I'll ever go back there. I don't know. Mm. Uh, have, you um, got, have you gotten any closer to happiness? Yeah, I'm. I'm happier now, and I don't think about it every day now, which is a big win for me. Um, but I don't know that I can ever be that person I was, and it sucks that I let somebody take that from me. Abusers really have this way of it's like they leave a stain on a person, and it's the kind that can't be washed out. Yeah, sometimes the key is just not to look at it. Yep. Yeah, you just have to put those blinders up and you have to look at your blessings. Like, I have this beautiful little girl and I, I tell my husband every day, I said, as much as it sucks to went there, I would not take it back because I have this amazing daughter and maybe if she didn't go through that, she wouldn't be the same person she is. I don't know. But I'm, I'm lucky I have him. I'm lucky I have her. We have a kid since then who's amazing and beautiful. And we have, like, a really great family. And I don't know that I would have got here without that. It gives you a, a deep appreciation for, like, like, little problems you would usually have that are not important anymore. They're just not important anymore. When you have a person that's such a good dad and such a good husband and such a good boyfriend and such a good everything like you just don't think about the things that you would have well one thing your your ex needs to keep in mind is he really blew it you know he got to he could have spent time with that with you with that little girl and he screwed it all up so he's the one who made the mistakes Yeah. Yeah. yeah but of course i guess from what i can tell he's too narcissistic to recognize that yeah he doesn't know that, but I do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, you, you've, you've reached those milestones, and uh, I wish you the best of luck for your future. I hope you do find more happiness and get back to the person you were before. And uh, Thank you. I wish all the best as well for your daughter. I hope she makes a full recovery and finds happiness on her own terms as well. Thank you. Me too. Like I said, I'm glad I have a, a good man in her life teaching her better. Oh, yeah, that's that's very important as well, very valuable. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's another silver lining. She's not growing up with your ex as the paternal figure in her life because that would have been really damaging. Yeah, yeah. No, she understands now the importance of, of how a person's treated. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for doing this interview, and I think that it's going to be fascinating and enriching for the audience. No question about it. Okay, great. Well, thank you for what you're doing, Morgan. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it, too. Have yourself a good night. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Human Monsters. Bye for now.